really challenging myself and recognizing that, you know, I have a lot to offer. I don't have to be the best at everything Mm -hmm. to be able to add value both personally and professionally and really kind of working on acceptance. Acceptance is is an all the time sort of practice. Yeah. Welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast, your destination for all things personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am an intentional brand builder on a mission to inspire people to build not only their dream businesses that actually feel good for them to be in, but more importantly, to create well-rounded lives that are in alignment with their values. I believe that we can only grow outward in proportion to how aligned we are internally, and that slowly but surely, we are all capable of creating lives that feel incredibly fulfilling to be fully present in. Hello, welcome back to another Active Ingredient episode. I hope you've had an incredible long weekend. I cannot believe that we're in September already and starting to kind of get back in the groove of things, which is wild. We have some months still in this end of year situation and I have been just organizing myself, trying to figure out where it is that I want to be spending my energy and how I want to just invest in myself and in the projects that really light me up in life. And a huge pillar of all of that is something that supports everything, which is how much we are sleeping and how good our sleep is. And the topic of this week's show is all about sleep. And I've done a few question boxes on my Instagram before. And this question box that I did on any questions you guys have about sleep was by far the one that you guys were most interested in. I had some really good questions from all of you that I included in the show. And I am excited to share all of our guests' insights. And before I get into who the guest is, I just also wanted to call out that like, as we get back into the groove of things coming out of the summer, slow vibes and back into just putting in the work and showing up and our routines and all of that, I still think it's important to find places and spaces and time to rest, to slow down and to still, especially now when things get a little bit more crazy, to prioritize our sleep and not in a perfectionist way or anything, but just in a way that it's still extremely valuable and it will only help all of our cases while we are in a season of probably doing a little bit more than we were doing in the summer. So with that, this week's episode is with NYC sleep doctor, Dr. Janet Kennedy. She is a sleep expert, the author of The Good Sleeper. She's a clinical psychologist who is dedicated to treating sleep problems in adults and young children. And she is, of course, based in New York per her name, NYC Sleep Doctor. So in this week's episode, we get into the role that sleep plays in our day-to-day function, performance anxiety and perfectionism when it comes to sleeping well. She gave so many interesting insights on what she's seeing in her practice around that how we can support our bodies when it comes to getting the best night's rest that we can while also trusting that our bodies know what they're doing. And we get into the role that hormones play in all of it. And of course, I ask very specific niche, curious questions about sleep because I just have to know. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. If this is 
interesting to you, if you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars wherever you listen. It really, really helps the show grow. I saw last week that some of you gave the show five stars on Spotify, which definitely helped. We had a great week last week. So if, yeah, if you have a second, that would be just so freaking helpful. I cannot even tell you. So with that, Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. I have not had a sleep expert on the show to date, which is insane. Great. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm going to ask a question that's actually not normally the first question that I ask us, which is, what is your sleep like? My sleep is normal. What does that mean? (laughs) Which means that it varies. Some days I wake up feeling like a million bucks and some days I wake up not really noticing how I feel. And some days I'm like, oh, that was not so great. And it's really being able to tolerate that normal fluctuation and not freak out and do lots of things to compensate for a rougher night. Because when you do those things to compensate, like drink tons of coffee or nap or sleep later, go to bed early the next night, it interferes with your body's natural ability and pressure to right itself. Mm. Um, and then you end up kicking the problem down the road and you end up with multiple nights of of problems. But how do we know what are the normal things to regulate? Because I feel like if someone's listening and they're like, well, I'm tired. So the normal thing is to get coffee. Right. What are the normal things? Well, it's okay to have coffee yeah. as part of your morning routine. Mm-hmm. I certainly enjoy it myself. Same. Same. And, um, and, and that's not really the issue. The issue is like... You have a bad night and there's a lot of distress about how you feel. And, you know, in our culture today, we're very focused on optimizing, hacking, maximizing, being our best. Everything has to feel perfect. And if it doesn't, something's wrong. And so, you know, my job is to really help people build more resilience and tolerance for just the normal, which sometimes is normal on the good side of that mean and mm-hmm. sometimes it's a little below and that's okay like we can we can function having some bad nights here and there our bodies are very good at helping us through that with adrenaline we can distract ourselves with um, things that are engaging and time mm-hmm. passes and we get to bedtime and we get a new chance a new start yeah um but it's really this that distress that creates a lot of pressure and anxiety turns into performance anxiety at night. If I don't sleep tonight. I cannot tell you how much I relate to that. First of all, that was one of my questions. It's like seventh on the list, but (laughs) it's this, this obsession that we have, like you said, for performance, but it happens to me where I'll wake up like every hour on the hour, knowing the time that I have to wake up at. And I'll look at the clock and I'm like, damn it. It's one o'clock in the morning. Like I still haven't really gone to sleep. Mm -hmm. And it's just like we're obsessed with the sleep, but then when we're so obsessed, we actually can't figure it out. Yeah. So this is super normal. And I think that my listeners will probably feel very seen in this. How do we how do we work on that? Well, I think the question is, when does that happen? Does that happen every night or does mm. that happen just when you're anticipating something or if you really- For me, it's always like when I know I have to wake up really early. Yeah. So in some sense, that's very normal, right? Because it's your, it's a conflict between your sort of problem solving, almost fight or flight nervous system Mm -hmm. and your body's need and desire to sleep. So, you know, you need to sleep to feel good Mm -hmm. the next day. You know, you need to sleep just because it's an imperative. 
but your body's kind of getting hyped up in anticipation of the thing in the morning too soon. And so some of the issue is really kind of talking to yourself before you go to bed, making sure you're not trying to go to bed early in advance of an early wake up if that's not your normal time. Like if if you don't normally vary your bedtime, you know, like you can't go to bed at eight o'clock because you have to get up at four. That's so interesting. I've actually never heard anyone say that. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to work without a sleep aid because your body's just not ready to do it. Your, your sleep pressure starts the moment you wake up and your ability to fall asleep at night depends on how much time has elapsed among other things, but but primarily, are you ready to be sleeping again um, based on the time you woke up that morning? So if you want to go to bed at eight o'clock at night, you have to get up early the, the day before to get ready for that. Mm. But I just don't recommend the combination of pressure to perform and trying to go to bed early to get more sleep so you can perform better because yeah. that is, it's so counterintuitive. Yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't work, and yeah. it, you, because that you're already hyped up, and then your body's not ready to help you. Yeah. So how's that going to work? Like, it's not. It's not going to work. And then you're either you're in a an insomnia situation where not only you're not falling asleep at eight, you're not falling asleep at your normal bedtime. You're mm-hmm. still up or, or you're up every hour and you're yeah. frustrated. And then you really feel like garbage. Right? I feel like the pendulum has swung and it's like now there's awareness right now, right? So we're all aware of the importance of sleep. Yes. And the hyper awareness for me personally, I'll wake up after having a really, really bad night's sleep. And I'll I'm like, okay, I know that when you sleep poorly, you're hungrier. So I try to be aware of it and try to be like super conscious of not not going for the extra carbs or whatever, which I don't even know if that's helping because clearly my body needs something. Right. So what are the things, like I think this is a very, very normal topic. If we're stressed about not getting enough sleep because we know how important sleep is and we wake up and we're like, shit, we didn't get enough sleep. What What is something that you recommend to start kind of like, instead of being here on the pendulum, starting to come back here? Yeah. Well, number one, I mean, in terms of the things you can do, hydrate. Mm -hmm. So immediately when you get up, start, you know, with a full glass of water, get some light, open the blinds, or even better, go out for a walk, get natural light. Mm -hmm. That helps to get your body ready for the day, set your body clock, shut down the lingering melatonin that's still, Mm -hmm. you know, going through your body movement, stretching, try to help your body. And so, because what we do when we're stressed is we clench. And so if you think about purposely doing the opposite and expanding, like stretch your body out really, especially, you know, chest opening because we're all so tight anyway from our phones and, you know, computers. So really trying to approach your body with kindness instead of frustration so your body That's the has, perfect word yeah. is frustration. I'm like, oh, yeah. like I didn't get the seven or the eight or whatever. Right. But your body hasn't failed you. It just had a blip, you know, like you're not perfect either. Totally. And, I know. mean, it's like the undercurrent here is perfectionism. Right. We know this. Right. But so, so how bad is it or like how much does it affect us for like, let's say in a week, there's two blip nights. Is there like a certain amount of nights that you're like, okay, like that is when you should really like pay more attention or how normal is it to have those blips, I guess? Well, I think you want to look at when they're happening and what is 
if there's an identifiable trigger. So if it's always Sunday, then I would say don't sleep late on Sunday. Try getting up a little bit earlier, maybe only an hour after your normal wake-up time because Sunday's hard. You've got, as we were talking about before, all that performance pressure. You want to start the week out right. You're already starting to think about all the things on your list. You want to perform. And then you think, well, let me go to bed early to try to get a good start on this, which is the, of course, wrong thing to do. Um, (laughs) You're speaking to my soul. (laughs) It's always on Sunday. It's like the common condition, right? Yeah. It's like the not sleepy enough plus the Sunday scaries and you're screwed. I don't really feel Sunday scaries. It's like the like it's like excitement and then the the I guess like fear of not getting the hours that I want to like actually do the things that I want on Monday. Right. You know. It's a transition of, you know, from your weekend mode back into yeah. your week mode, whether that's stressful or not it's a shift. And so again, thinking about how do I help myself Mm -hmm. instead of how do I demand that my body perform? So, you know, for me on a Sunday, I mean, now I have a new second dog, so I'm always up. I don't, I don't really have a lot of opportunity (laughs) to sleep late, but, um, but I will get up not, you know, maybe I'll sleep an hour later than usual if I'm allowed. And then, Sunday night, I'm really careful to just make sure that, A, I'm not watching something crazy right before bed. Like mm-hmm. When we were binging, like, Breaking Bad years ago, I was like, <laughs> what's going on? Like, this is always horrible. You know, think about your content. Make sure you're unwinding. And then I just go to bed with my book, and I'm like, all right, it's in your hands now to my body. Like, just when you're ready, you take over. And, and that takes the stress out. And I just always make sure to have a good book that I want to read. And a good book or a boring book? A good book. Really? Yeah. I go against all of my, you know, the purists in my field. And I think it should be good, take you away fiction. It shouldn't be self-help for God's sake. No. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it should not be professional development. It should not be history. I'm reading Ramit's I Will Teach You to Be Rich. <laughs> no, no. He's like, you need to sign up for a Roth IRA. I'm like, oh God, I yeah, got it. <laughs> that's not helpful at night because then you're thinking about your Roth IRA all night. Yeah. You can read that, like set aside some time during the day to read that. Like yeah. that's, you know. But like, what if that's just like your interest? Like it doesn't it matter. No, it doesn't matter. There's time for that in the day. It just isn't a nighttime activity. Mm. So I guess I maybe like I'll ask you for some good fiction because I just don't. <laughs> it's just not the category that I love. Yeah. I will say I was reading. I always laugh because I had uh, Barack Obama's book. I loved Michelle's. Yeah. I read it in two seconds. Yeah. And I had Barack's, which God bless him, but he really, he tried and he's so descriptive, but that was my lullaby. I had it next to my bed all the time. And it was whenever I was frustrated with my sleep, I would read Barack's book. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that that kind of thing works because you can hear his voice in your head and it's soothing. Yeah. The content Mm, isn't so engaging. The problem with boring stuff is that you can still be going through your lists while you're reading something boring. And the point of my point of reading at night for me and everybody who follows my advice is to really force your brain to separate from the business of the day. Like we are running like mad all day long. We've got information coming at us from all directions. We're watching TV and we're on our phones at the same time. Like it's ridiculous. And the brain can't just go from that to sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also don't really allow ourselves enough time to think about the 
the stuff that needs to be thought about. Mm. We're constantly distracted. So if the first time you're quiet is when you're lying down in bed, you're going to be flooded with racing thoughts about, you know, everything. Do you have a specific time allotted in the day for that? I myself do not have a specific time, but I do often suggest that for people who don't really have the space for it. Mm-hmm. Like my work is, is um, I have lots of small breaks. And so, and I also, as a psychologist, have to write notes mm. in a, like a legal medical document. And so I'm processing my day all along. Um, and then I How do nice. spend- Do you yeah. enjoy it? Do I enjoy writing my notes? Yeah, no. Because <laughs> everyone I know in medical fields that write notes hates it, yeah. but it sounded like you were like, it's a no, moment I to mean, process. I mean, it it keeps me from then thinking yeah. through everything at once. It keeps things more organized, I guess. But, mm. but then I also just have time in my day to kind of make uh, jot things down and and make sure that I'm taking care of stuff. I'm a I'm a pretty robust multitasker during the work day. Mm. So it doesn't creep in as much at night. Yeah. So, okay, you said something about the weekend and like we're transitioning from Saturday, Sunday to Monday. I'm curious what your thoughts are on keeping your sleep schedule the same on weekends as it is on weekdays. I've heard I've heard varying yeah. things here. I mean, if you're having trouble sleeping, mm-hmm. then it's worth doing like a boot camp and really trying to be consistent for maybe two weeks with Mm. your wake-up time. Your bedtime matters less than your wake-up time. Why? Because your wake-up time is what sets your bedtime. So you're... If you you get up the same time every day, you'll start to get tired at night at your body's... Regular time. Regular time. What's the range? Sorry to cut you off, but what's the range of like regular time for a human body? Because I've also heard some people that they're like, I actually am fine to run on five hours of sleep. Is that true? It's rare. I mean, I, I have worked with some people where if they got more than five hours of sleep, they would then have a completely sleepless night to correct from it. And I was like, it took a while to accept that that was the truth Mm. um, because it seemed so wrong. You know, so different. Yeah. Um, well, it goes against everything you read about what people need, what the body needs. So, you know, the research says that adults need seven to nine hours. Now, I think that's on the high end. I think that includes falling asleep time. You know, like we don't take that into account. Yeah. yeah. So, in basically, if someone is routinely getting less than six hours of sleep, I would be curious about why. Um, Does that mean six consistent hours of sleep? Yes. So- Like not waking up in the in the middle of the night to pee? You no, know, waking up in the middle of the night to pee is normal. I mean, if you're doing a lot of it and you're young, there may be ways to fix that, like yeah. thinking about how late you're drinking and whatever. Yeah. But no, six hours without long breaks. I feel like I'm being too specific because it's a little murkier than that. Yeah. Like, my point is it shouldn't your nightly sleep shouldn't bounce around where it's like six hours, nine hours, five hours, eight mm. hours. Like okay. that's not healthy for your body. Your body does not know what time it is. You have a constant sort of jet lag and you're not like automating your sleep the way sleep would like to be. Sleep would like to be is is like digestion, right? Like I mean, they're so correlated. Yeah. And it's happening outside of your full control. Yeah. You can control some of your digestion, right? Yeah. What you eat, how much, what you drink, 
supplements you take, things like that, exercise, but ultimately... It tells you. Yeah. And so (laughs) sleep is very much the same. You take good care of it. You put the good habits in place. You're mindful of the bumps you're hitting and trying to figure out, is this a problem? Is this not? You're tolerant of normal fluctuations. You take good care of it and you're kind. Um, And then it's going to do what it's going to do. Yeah. You know? And so on weekends is like within the seven to nine, it should still work and be normal. (laughs) I mean, some people get dramatically less sleep on weekends because they party. Some yeah. people get dramatically more because they're binging and making up. I I don't recommend binging on sleep because it tends to cut it sleep from future nights mm. as much as it is making up from, you know, lost sleep. Um, on the other hand, sometimes people's lifestyle is just such that like, you know, when I had small kids, if I could grab a two-hour nap on on a Saturday, I was like, oh my God, that's making my life manageable, right? Yeah. But, and so, season, I guess. you know, some of it is like, you have to figure out what your edges are, right? There's the sort of pristine, you know, textbook, what we tell people who are struggling, how, that you know, how we tell them to get back on track. And then there's sort of what it takes to maintain. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious because I feel like for a lot of things in wellness and tools, a lot of us are going through life not knowing that there's a better way to feel. And for example, every single expert that I've had on here, like one of the most pervasive issues is our addiction to social media. It's normalized and it's like a really big thing. I'm curious what you see specifically in sleep that you're like, yes, insomnia is probably the thing that gets the most airtime in media, but that's an extreme. Like what is something that is very, very common to the point that like most of us are living this way and we don't know that there's actually a way better way to live? I mean, I think it's, I think it's the way that people are trying to hack their sleep and control it um, that is creating so much anxiety around it and it's leading people to take medication they don't need. It's, I mean, the melatonin thing drives me insane. Say more. What about it? Everyone's taking it. It is not helpful. Like I hate it. Yes, you it, should. It makes me have <laughs> the most insane dreams. I've, I've really taken it maybe once or twice yeah. in my whole life. And both times I was like, what the hell is going on? Melatonin here? is very useful in small doses for jet lag. It is helpful for people with autism, perhaps people with ADHD or with a defined um, sleep phase disorder, meaning they don't they don't get their melatonin until much later. The problem with melatonin is it's not regulated. And so you do not know what you're getting. And it's been demonstrated in study after study that there really is no consistency. It could be 0% or 500% of what's on the label and what you're getting. And mm. so there really isn't a way. It's like the honor system in terms of quality control until the FDA takes over it's really not safe. It's also thought to be a puberty suppressor. So all the teenagers who are taking it, it just makes me so upset. Like their bodies are trying to regulate hormonally and they're adding this hormone that's messing up the mix. Like I just feel like people have feel like it's benign because it's natural, but it's something so your body produces yeah. and you don't need to augment it unless 
there's really a defined problem. And I mean, even lots of doctors will just be like, oh, give your kid melatonin. And I just don't understand. What does it do exactly to our system? And also is melatonin to fall or to stay asleep or both? None. Like melatonin, (laughs) I mean, all, none. It's melatonin regulates your sleep-wake cycle. So when the eye senses darkness, there's like a switch in the back of your eyeball, not really, but, you know, sort of right in back there that says when things get dark, it turns on the melatonin production. That doesn't happen right before you go to sleep. It ha- And so when you're taking melatonin right before you go to sleep, you're taking it at the wrong time. So it starts at like what time in the natural way, not not. It starts supplement. a few hours before and, and then it builds and then you sort of peak. Like a few hours before the sun is fully down? A few hours before you would go to sleep. So oh, okay. let's say this, the sun is going down at you know, the, the reason we sleep more in the winter is because it gets dark earlier right. and we have more melatonin. Right. That also contributes to seasonal affective disorder. Um, but in any case, the onset of melatonin production leads to sleepiness over time, tells the body when to sleep, and then it starts to naturally wane while in the middle of the night, like around 4 a.m. in the early morning, let's say. And that's when your body temperature starts to rise, your cortisol levels start to rise, and you get your body's preparing hours in advance for you to wake up. That's why it's hard to go back to sleep if you wake up around that time. It's also very natural to wake up around that time. People get very frustrated. But the point is, I mean, I've seen people who take melatonin regularly. First of all, they take way too much. They take it too late. So they're they're hungover and groggy in the morning. Some people wake up too early when they take it. Some people have hot flashes. Think about the hormonal aspect mm-hmm. of this. Your circadian rhythm is affecting your body temperature. And when you're altering that by augmenting the hormone that controls it, you're adding a, a whole like wild card to the mix. So, you know, it's something that I really think it could be useful for like the elderly. It's useful for people who are blind. As I said, autism and ADHD, those things all all need yeah. um, treatment. Attention, yeah. You know, but but the way it stands now from a safety and consistency like over perspective, the counter, it's just not safe. Yeah. Yeah. What about CBD? I love CBD. Interesting. Yeah. So CBD binds to cannabinoid receptors in the brain that augment sleep quality. So it doesn't put you to sleep. People say to me, it doesn't work for me. Well, it does work for you. You're just asking it to do the wrong thing. So it's not a sleep aid in that you take it and it makes you fall asleep. I think of it as sort of like a nerve soother or a brain quieter. It helps to kind of separate you or slow down the raciness of the thoughts that happen Mm. when you're going to bed. Um, And it enhances sleep quality. And at what time are you not supposed to, but at what time do you recommend? I mean, that, I mean, I could take CBD during the day. It doesn't put me to sleep. So it helps with anxiety or, you know, so it's something to kind of play around with. I do recommend using a tincture instead of gummies because it's easier to regulate the quality. Now, I, of course, I just gave this whole spiel about no FDA quality yeah, control, that's what right? I was so there are farms that sort of stake their reputation on their quality control and their testing. Now, is somebody regulating that? No, but there's a you know people in the sort of 
weed CBD field are very serious about their suppliers. And, and so I think there's a little more internal regulation mm. going on where, where people really have to produce a quality product or they're not going to yeah. make it. So, so I would just look for supplier that has a long history and a real dedication to continued testing because it's not like they test it once and it's right. fine. They have to keep testing because these are plants, you know, mm -hmm. you got to see what's coming out of the plant to make sure that it's what you say it is. And, yeah. um, and I do believe there are places readily available that that do that. And so it's something that I, I do find very helpful. I find it helpful for anyone. I find it particularly helpful for women struggling with hormonal stuff um, as sleep starts to get trickier when hormones are fluctuating, either PMS, but definitely in the perimenopausal years. Mm. It can be really helpful as part of an overall approach to to managing sleep during the kind of volatile years. Mm. Um, and what I also like about it is because it's not sedating, you can take it during the middle of the night. For example, I, as a woman of a certain age, often wake up at four in the morning and it's it's a different kind of waking than it used to be where it's really like wide awake. It just, because that's where my progesterone is for me. It's yeah. not helping me. And if it's one of those nights where I'm like, okay, this is one of the, I know it when I wake up, if I use a little CBD, then it helps, calm it helps me go back to sleep because it just takes that. And maybe it's placebo, but it's a pretty benign one. So okay. that's fine. Well, do you have a specific brand that you recommend? I do. I don't have an affiliation with them, but so far for the past many years, I've found the quality to be consistent. It's called Bloom Farms, I believe. Okay. Um, I'll have to double check. They may have change the name in Bloom Farms Wellness, I think it is mm. now. They have tinctures and they have vape, which I'm not a vapor, but they do have that. But what I would suggest is sticking with straight CBD as opposed to going with the sleep versions. Because anytime you're taking something as a sleep aid, it really, uh, it becomes addictive not physiologically, but in that you feel anxious about your ability to sleep without it. Mm -hmm. And so then you come, you start to have a struggle around, you know, not taking it. So it's not real addiction. It's, well, it's a psychological well, addiction. Yeah. It's not but a it's physical not like a addiction. Physiological You're not going to have withdrawal. You're, it's not That's that you so can't sleep without it. That you believe that you can't sleep without it. But you worry that you can't. And once the worry is in there, it's like, you know, you're kind of over. It's yeah. done. Okay. We're going to have to link out to that CBD for yeah. sure. Um, I want to double down on hormones and sleep. Our audience is like early 30s to 60. Okay. So yeah, I would just love to hear what's happening in our systems and specifically for women because my audience is definitely primarily yeah. women. So estrogen and progesterone are very linked to sleep. Okay. So Estrogen helps us fall asleep. Progesterone helps us stay asleep to just kind of put it out there mm -hmm. uh, very simply. And so what happens during a normal period cycle is right before your period, your body recognizes that you're not pregnant and your levels, your your hormones plummet. That's why you feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the other things that estrogen and progesterone do for you too, like you feel edgy and yep. agitated and whatever. But it really, it makes a very significant impact on sleep and it's not in your head. 
a lot of times what I do for women is really like when they come to me with insomnia, I have them track it along with their cycle because oftentimes insomnia starts with the um, PMS time. Mm. And then, you know, hormones are very tricky and they don't let us know that they're the problem. Like we always think it's not hormones until after. It's the so fact. true. My sister and I always say that yeah. we're like literal monsters. Yeah. And then we get our period and we're like, oh. Yeah. And no <laughs> amount of tracking is going to help you figure that out. Like it just, no, until they like, just until you really, see it, they're you're devious. Like, <laughs> yeah. Got it. And so, so basically what can happen is you have this, what feels random, You this random bad patch of sleep, and then you get upset about it and you start doing all these things to compensate for it. And then you've got a couple of weeks Long-term. of bad sleep so or more. And so just even identifying and saying like, oh, that's what that is and, and not just waiting it out or freaking, you know, like not freaking out about it. Or, or maybe those are nights you take sleep aids or you make sure that you're being super kind to yourself or whatever it is. You have, you have special things you do for yourself, whatever that can, that's all good. So that's that. But then we have pregnancy where hormones are all over the place. Postpartum, nobody tells you. Uh, If you breastfeed when you wean, that's like, a shit show. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's worth it, but it's like, totally. I was like, what is happening here? It felt like menopause. Wow. Um, and I mean, some people don't have that, but, uh, you know, I certainly did twice. Yeah. And, um, and then you have the fluctuations that start to happen. You know, for some women, it's late 30s. Uh, you know, more typically, it's your mid 40s where it's not that you're in menopause, but perimenopause goes on for years where, you know, things are just changing. And you don't understand that the way you feel is is linked to those changes because they're not it's not all at once, right? So it's not that. It's hard to like detect and yeah. spot and name it. So what are things, like if you're within perimenopause age range that you can do to support your sleep? Magnesium. Okay. I'm oh, always, interesting. Always talk to a doctor. Like I am not a physician. I am a psychologist. My friend asked me specifically to ask you about magnesium. Yeah. <laughs> magnesium, again, people say magnesium doesn't help me. Well, magnesium is not a sleep aid. It is not going to put you to doesn't sleep. Doesn't it make you go to the bathroom? Yes. Okay. It helps regularity. Oh, love. Um, so it magnesium is kind of like a body soother, like okay. CBD as well. It helps relax your nervous system, among other things. And it's an essential mineral that we need. And we don't make enough of it, and that's why we need to supplement? Or are we Correct. not? Okay. We don't we make don't, it, we don't but we don't consume it. Consume it. Got it. So it's not something we make. Melatonin is something we Melatonin make. Melatonin is something we make. Got it. So again- this is a supplement, not regulated. You want to find, try your best to find a high-end company. Maybe yeah. your doctor has one they like or something. If you have a functional medicine doctor, I'm sure they do. Because it's not a hormone, it's less of a problem right. that it's not so closely regulated because it's 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 food, you know, like yeah. a, you know, essentially. So so magnesium can be helpful. And is there a specific time to take magnesium as it pertains to sleep or it doesn't um, matter? Usually people take it at bedtime. Okay. Um, like an hour before sleep, two hours? Usually, I mean, I don't think that it's that. It honestly, I'd have to look at literature, but I don't think it's that specific. Okay. Um, and I asked specifically because 
it's been very rare, but when I wake up in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom uh-huh. like that. Oh. Yeah. Like, does it Yeah, is it going to make you poo in the middle of the night? Yeah, because, like, when that happens, I'm like, what is going on with my system? Because that doesn't happen yeah, to me Yeah, so normally. take it at bedtime then, like, and don't take it too far in advance. Yeah. Usually it's, like, uh, it helps you in the morning. Yeah, that's what my friend said. She's like, I've been taking it, and it's, like, changed my life. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> way to start the day. The best. Yeah. Absolutely the best. <laughs> so magnesium supports with Magnesium supports. Hormonal regulation. Um... You know, temperature regulation, super important. So making sure that your room is cool, your bed doesn't hold heat next to your body. Um, how your, do you how do you make sure that like that that's the case? I mean, you gotta think about your mattress. So okay. most mattress, you know, like the sort of bed in a box kind of mattresses that that everyone is using mm-hmm. these days are have a lot of claims about breathability. Um, you really want to dive into the reviews to see what people, what what women are saying about temperature with the with the mattress. Mm-hmm. Because, um, I mean, you can't you can't base everything on that because there are some people who just really really struggle with heat and nothing's going to be no mattress is going to right. fix that for them. But at the An same extra time, if you and your partner are hot sleepers together, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you, but you want to, you know, so what is covering the mattress? Okay. Also, what's the topper like? You know, there are, there are mattresses that have toppers that are specifically designed to move heat away from your body. Your bedding. Um, is there a specific type of material? I mean, I don't, I, theoretically, yes. Um, but for me, I mean, like, I'm not going to sleep on anything, but Percale cotton. Like, it's yeah. just what I like to get into, like the way yeah. that feels. It's how I want to be in the bed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that might not be the most breathable. Some people say yes. Some people say no. I, you know, that, I don't really come down there. People like linen. People like bamboo. I don't, I don't I like myself, cotton. but but I love my Percale. That's my thing. Okay. But think about your your blankets. Everything should be, it doesn't, you know, it needs to be breathable because what happens during the night and certainly your sleepwear, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't, what happens during the night is your body temperature fluctuates and women's temperature fluctuates more than men's because of the hormones. So you have, you can't like be okay sleeping naked if you get cold, right? right. And and so I find that it's helpful to sleep actually in sleepwear that is designed to take the heat and moisture away from your body so yeah. that it's not that you it keeps you from heating up but it keeps that it it takes the impact away from you mm. as it's happening so you're not getting sweaty and then freezing right. right is there something that's going on the nights that you wake up fully sweaty like what's happening because and it also happens to men so it's like yeah. what's happening when you wake up with night sweats I mean, it could be diet. It could be hormones for men too. I mean, there's any there's number of things. things. Yeah. But is there like a first thing that you're like, like I've noticed sometimes if it's, if there's alcohol consumption. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, because alcohol is also a diuretic. And so your body's like getting, getting it, it out. out. Yeah. yeah. And alcohol makes you wake up more, by the way, during the night. So yeah, yeah. and I can't. I mean, personally, when I drink, I can't sleep in, and I sleep terrible. It's just like it does not yeah. work for me at all. What's happening in our brains when we're sleeping while drinking, um, or not? Well, while your drinking, brain doesn't get into deep stages of sleep when you're metabolizing alcohol. Your body, one glass? No, okay. probably not. 
Okay. I mean, it depends on the person. And it, I mean, like, I wouldn't drink one glass of of anything right before going to bed. Right. Like, what's the point of that anyway? Like, yeah. if you're doing that as a sleep aid, figure out how to, like, that's where you come yeah. to me and I'll help you figure out how to fall asleep. Like, you know, yeah. it's not, <laughs> um, you know, like, that isn't helpful, yeah. right? But having a glass of something, you know, with dinner or after, like, that's not going to probably Like, you can be still reach deep sleep. Yeah, because your body can metabolize that okay. um, before you go to bed. If you're feeling buzzed when you go to bed, it's probably going to impact your sleep. Yeah. That's a good rule of thumb. Okay. But as your, you know, liver is processing the alcohol as well, you go into withdrawal, even if you're not you know, addicted. Yeah. And that wakes you up. So you're waking up throughout the night that way too. Plus you're waking up to pee more because you're it's a diuretic. Take it out. Yeah. So. But I feel like we stopped, we got diverted from stuff. Oh, we're talking about hormones. Yeah. Right. And heat. Yeah. So, um, well, this is how I go. I literally, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. we're going no, eight million cool. different directions. I just want to make sure that I yeah, yeah. am not giving out half answers. Um, you know, you also want to look at blood sugar regulation. Um, if there's lots of sweating, so you want to make sure that metabolically everything's okay. Yeah. What about having sugar before bed, even if it's like low sugar? And I'm asking specifically because I have to have chocolate before I go to sleep. And I know a lot of people feel the same. And that was another one that has been a consistent answer with like the chronic things that we're all dealing with is sugar addiction. Okay. So I'm curious how, if at all, that's... I mean, it depends on what kind of chocolate you're talking about. You know, like if you're talking about pounding like a bag of Hershey's Kisses, like that would not be a good idea, right? right. But if you're having small amount of good chocolate, I mean, that sounds good to me. As long, you know, this is a sort of, if it's not impact, it, that wouldn't be the first thing I'd get rid of, let okay. me just say. Like I would look at your schedule. I would look at temperature. I would look at your routines and make mm -hmm. sure that you're really separating from the day and going to bed with a clearer head, your wake-up time, yeah. that kind of stuff. I, before I would say that piece of chocolate is okay. bad for you. I was really curious about that because it's something that I've experienced myself when I have more, even if it's the same chocolate. Yeah. If I have more of it, I'll have a harder time falling asleep yeah. or like even having good sleep. Yeah. Well, blood sugar fluctuations will affect your sleep and they also often are the cause of that 4 a.m. waking as well. So mm. so you don't want to pound um, a lot of sugar or even like simple carbs right before bed. If you need a snack before bed, which is not a bad idea if it's been a long time since you've eaten, yeah. make sure that it's a balanced snack like with protein and fat yeah. as well as a carb like peanut butter and toast or mm. something, you know, that's not or an avocado or, you know, something that can hold you yeah. without having a spike and a crash. Yeah. Something I think is really relevant to this audience is just what we were talking about earlier, the transition time from when you're on, when you're on your phone, when you're just like an on human to actually going to sleep. And something that people we all talk about is revenge chill. Oh, yeah. And revenge chill sometimes goes into later hours in the night. That's later than a normal hour for you. But like if you're out at a dinner or at an event yeah. and then you come home and you're like, I need like 30 minutes of just being on the couch to just mm -hmm. stare at it. Is that something that you're seeing happen? I feel like some people want to just stay to their routine and like do it. Is it useful to revenge chill? Well, I wouldn't call it revenge chill. Mm. I think it's really, it's a question of what you need to unwind 
or not. Like if you feel like you're deprived of time in your every day to just, you know, do nothing or scroll or whatever you, or watch stupid shows or whatever, then that is sort of a danger point with the revenge chill, right? Like then you end up with like, you know, you've got the constant watch another episode, watch another episode and, and you lose time and, and Mm -hmm. then, and you haven't really unwound. That's the problem Mm. because what you're doing when you're on your phone is very stimulating. Um, it feels like it's not, it feels like it's kind of dead brain, but it is also, you have social comparison, you have like the desire to buy things, (laughs) you have, your bank balance, you have your mother you didn't get back to, you have, you know, whatever else is is going on in that little tiny thing, that's very stimulating and it represents the activity of your day. Mm. So it's not, it's not your final unwind. It might be important, um, but you need something else besides that. So, but I, before I go into that, I want to say very clearly that if you're out, you do need to come home and sit down for half an hour and unwind. But you can't just go, go to a show and come home and dive into bed just because it's your bedtime and expect to sleep. Your brain can't shift that way. You have to think about um, the downshift, the sort of transition. It's like if you go for a run you can't jump right in the shower. You have to cool down. Your body has to acclimate before it's ready to to really like move into the next stage of like not sweating like a pig. Right. right. So um, your brain needs that too with all the stimulation, whether it's stimulation from like, you know, you know, entertainment or um, whatever, you know, brain deadening stuff we do um, doesn't really matter. So- mm-hmm. My point is what I start with is you don't have to fundamentally alter your life. You just need to go to bed with a book. Like you, like watching TV until you get into bed isn't as helpful in terms of unwinding as reading because reading requires effort. You're creating images, you're tracking narrative, you're um, remembering what you read yesterday, you're, you know, at a very basic level, decoding letters on the page. Like it, that pulls you out of all the other work you've been doing. And it lets your brains, like your brain, like exhale, you Mm -hmm. know, and just be like, okay. Because your nervous system is always looking for threats. And if you are engaged in, you know, uh, I don't know, Elizabethan literature or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like if you're off on some beach read, uh, your body's going to say, okay, there's no danger here. So I can let go. And when it's time for the sleep imperative to take over, it has a green light. Whereas your body will defer to your mind if it's working. Right. um, Because it thinks you're in danger. It thinks there's, it's a very primitive yeah. structure, right? So for someone who's listening that currently sleeps with their phone in their room, like, I mean, if that's their current state right yeah. now, they have their phone next to their bed. Yes. And maybe they have a TV in their room. What is like an actual realistic 
next step? So maybe it's like, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer, but. So I would put the charger not on the nightstand. Um, I would get, I would absolutely get a clock to wake you up. Like you do not need your phone to wake you up. Your phone shouldn't be the first thing you touch in the morning. Like it, we, going back to just like, we need to separate from these things a little tiny bit, mm-hmm. you know, use some other form of alarm, move it across the room so that you're not picking it up. It's not the last thing you yeah. touch. TV in the room, I would just say, if you're going to watch TV to unwind, that's fine, but don't try to fall asleep to the TV. Uh, I mean, this is tricky because there's a big generational divide here, right? There's a whole generation of people coming up who fall asleep watching or listening to sitcoms that they, you know, like Friends or mm-hmm. something like that. And I don't love it. I I don't because it kind of, but I also am like, am I just old? You know, like, uh, is that just- I don't love it either. Yeah. Um, but I did. So I'm 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 actually someone who shifted okay. not not from my choosing. My partner was like, "We're not having you to be in the room." Okay. And at first, I was so resistant. I think it took me like maybe two weeks. And now, when I'm ever in a space like if I'm traveling with my sister, for example, who goes to sleep watching a show, mm-hmm. like I don't sleep well that night. Yeah. And now, it, like my body's shifted. Yeah. There's some like clearing out of the mind that happens with reading that I've just. I mean, I discovered it myself in grad school super stressed out. I was like talking in my sleep and administering psychological tests to my pillow and stuff. And my husband was like, something's, something's got to give here, you know? And Do we say full sentences in our sleep? We can, but often it's not, uh, you know, often what I was doing was not uh, like um, understandable okay. um, or for very long, you know, like it'd be like one thing. Yeah. But yeah. And, and I just found for myself and I've, you know, now been doing this for 20 years with professionally. And um, it really seems to be a very effective way to flush out. I think about it as like taking a toothbrush to the ridges of your brain and like getting all the daily crap out. And it just gives you that separation that is hard to find these days. Yeah. As a psychologist, because I feel like the theme of this episode and like for my audience specifically is the person who is like, trying to have good sleep. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the, and this chronic thing of like, oh, we didn't get, get enough hours. Like I, my aura ring is saying that like, this is a disaster. Like for that person who's <laughs> listening right now, I, I keep hearing you say like being kind to yourself, nourishing yourself. What are like actual tangible things yeah. that that person can do? Take the trackers off. Um, <laughs> because I hope, please don't use that clip of me rolling my eyes to the top <laughs> of the ceiling. But, um, <laughs> but it's just the truth. Cause I, like I said, and I, I, I there's no judgment here because yeah. I think that sometimes it takes a pendulum swinging one way yeah. to get to a neutral place. And I think that's totally fine that that's where we're at. Yeah. But from a clinical standpoint. I find that the trackers create performance anxiety more than they're helpful. And they also give you a grade on something you don't have full control over. So you wake up and your score is not good. And then you're like, well, I'm going to have a bad day. And so it becomes a a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so, you know, that I, I think taking that away helps you to just figure out what really is, right? Keep a sleep log rudimentary on paper. Look at, try to do what the boot camp of a couple of weeks of getting up the same time every day, even on weekends, just to try to calibrate. Um, and that will help you with your bedtime. I would say other 
low-hanging fruit. Try reading before bed, really, truly. Um, it's so simple. And um, and don't stick with a book you don't like. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing is, like, it should, you know, you can read Moby Dick or, you know, finish yeah. the canon some other time. Like, yeah. that's not what we're doing there. We're giving ourselves a gift at night of of something that's pleasant and soft, right? Yeah. So really keeping your business out of bed, you know, whether it's the business of like your relationship and like who's paying which bill or what needs to be done tomorrow or business of work or um, looking at your phone, like phone to me represents business. Um, I see this thing as a stress stress machine. Yeah. That's literally what it is to me. And it's something about it. I can be doing the same exact task on my phone or on my laptop and the laptop doesn't make my throat clench yeah. where my phone makes everything in me clench. Yeah. No, I I really think it's important. You know, technology is amazing and yeah. it saved us during the COVID crisis. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I couldn't have survived without it. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. But it doesn't enforce its own boundaries. And so we have to figure out how to tame it and how to make it useful for us in ways that don't undermine our health and mental health and and safety even. So really figuring out what those boundaries are are super important. I'm very curious about you and just experts in general in all fields. Like how (laughs) did you figure this field out for you? And my cornerstone question, which is, what were you like as a kid that you remember? And in what you're doing, do you find any qualities that are in there? I always wanted to be a therapist. I started volunteering at 14 at shelter for runaway and throwaway teens. That was in my neighborhood. And that was just the beginning for me. I just always wanted to to do this. And then, you know, ended up just, you know, become, go. you don't think, oh, I'm going to be a sleep doctor, right? So I went to school. I thought I was going to, first I thought I was going to go into academia. Uh, my father's an academic and I was like, oh, that that sounds good to me. And then I wasn't seeing any female role models um, doing clinical work and academic work and having a family and seeming like they were okay. And maybe that's changed. I hope it's changed, but it was not the, it didn't, it didn't seem like the life I wanted at mm-hmm. the time. And and I also got really inspired by clinical work and working with people who were more seriously mental, mentally ill than I had anticipated wanting to work yeah. with. So I ended up at the VA for my pre-doctoral internship and they hired me after that to be the psychologist in primary care. And my first order of business was sleep. They said, people are taking too much Ambien. We want to figure this out come up with a treatment plan. And I was able to block out time in my schedule to do it. It was really amazing. Um, and so I'm self-taught. Like at that time, there wasn't a real training body for this kind of work. Now there is, but it's really what I found in the literature doing like tons of research was a protocol for CBTI, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And I adapted it for veteran population to do in groups and launched it in a couple of different sites. And and did that for quite a while. And so then I started to recognize that there was a real need for it in the private sector. And as my um, sort of need for a different kind of balance with my family came about with small children, decided to start my practice, which in fact at the time was kind of 
not the best move because it was a ton more work to mm. to do both yeah. things at once. But it ended up being a great move for me, and and, and this is where I am. What fascinates you the most about sleep? I think it's how much is unknown, you know, because we know, we do know a lot about it, but we don't really know everything about why we sleep, what's happening at each part of sleep, how to, how to alter that. I mean, we're learning. There's lots of studies coming out. Sometimes they frighten people (laughs) about like, you're going to be fat if you don't, you know, sleep this way, but, but also learning how to use things like neurofeedback to enhance sleep quality. And, you know, so I guess I'm just kind of fascinated by the world to come and, and how we're going to balance the sort of naturalness of it and the need to accept that it's not my uh, like a six pack ab situation where you're like, I'm going to be perfect. You know, like, how do I, how do I make this? How do I shred myself or whatever? You know, like it's totally, um, but that's where we're at right now, which is where I yeah. think the pendulum is like, yeah, it's too much. We we know how important it is. So we are putting so much emphasis right, and so much perfection without a ton of resources to do it. Yeah. Like that's the point. People are taking tonics and doing all kinds of things and worrying about it. And, and the, the, the tools that we have are not the optimizers that um, people are looking for. It's really the sort of reality check of, no, this is, you're okay. Like you don't need to hack this, hack something else. And, but there are things that are coming out that may be helpful. And I'm, I'm always cautious about that balance of like, do we just always want more or do we just let this be natural and how that is we- I mean the constant like where's that line on literally everything yeah. it's so true it's like we want to know everything but also like we want to let it be and I think that the wanting to know everything really does stem from when people are like disordered in it like when, yeah. when there's like an issue right which is fair well but the people who are having the issue are the optimizers and hackers who are trying to do so everything true. without resting like they're not willing to rest their brain they're not willing to unwind they want to go on all cylinders and then dive into bed and have a great night that lets them do it again and you can't you've got to take better care of your sleep to do that so then at the core of this whole thing it's just like enoughness and just be yeah Perfectionism like okay. is perfectionism is a sleep killer. Wow, that's your quote. That's the headline of this whole thing. <laughs> okay. okay, I need to look at these to see if we can do any rapid fires. Okay. One of them was how do we combat peeing in the middle of the night? Which we kind of talked about. Like Yeah, I mean, back it up and try two hours before you go to bed. Don't drink anything and then see sort of where your limits are. And the other piece of it is that you might just be waking up. You might not really have to pee. Mm. And it's just that impulse and sort of how we're trained as toddlers to, you know, never go to bed with the possibility of having to pee. Yeah. So maybe ask yourself if you really do need to. And yeah. and if you go to the bathroom and you're really not peeing very much, then you didn't, that's not what woke yeah. you up. For me, it's like, I get so lazy. And then all of a sudden my dream has to do with me peeing. Okay. I'm like, my dream is like me sitting on a toilet and I'm like, okay, girl, that's get up. That's when you do need to get up. Yes. Um, impact of long-term use of insomnia medications. Depends on what it is, but most medications alter your sleep architecture in some way meaning you're getting less REM sleep or, you know, 
who knows? So there can, this goes back to like, we don't know exactly what's happening in every stage of sleep. And so I can't tell you exactly the impact of that, but there's, there are big questions about long-term cognitive effects of taking sleep medications, even um, over-the-counter Unisom. Mm. Um, So it's not a good idea for that. It's not a good idea because um, it undermines your ability to tolerate normal fluctuations in sleep. You get very stressed out about your ability to sleep naturally if you're taking them. They're not benign. Um, And so, and there are fast, straightforward treatments available that can improve your sleep and and solve the problem at at the root as opposed to just fixing the symptom of sleeplessness or or poor sleep quality. So, you know, if you go through a treatment and you're still not happy or you want to use sleep aids occasionally, that then fine, you know, like that's something to discuss with your doctor. But I wouldn't assume that it's okay to just continue taking it all the time because someone gave it to you. Yeah. Um, and with benzodiazepines um, like Xanax, Ativan, Clonopin, those have real issues in terms of physiological addiction and you have to be very careful and taper them under medical supervision because they, you know, you could have seizures, all kinds of things and there wow. are absolute withdrawal symptoms that you need to be mindful of. So best not to take those things daily for long periods okay. and so that you avoid that problem in the first place. But if you are and you want to stop, um, absolutely do that with help. Love it. What is something about sleep that you wish every single person knew? That your body knows what to do. And if you can just get your mind out of the way and respect what the body needs, that's at least half the battle. As a psychologist, psychiatrist? Psychologist. Psychologist. I feel like anyone in this field and healing in general has done a lot of unlearning work. What is something that you are currently or have unlearned that you've relearned in a resourceful way that you would want to share with our audience? Uh, My approach to perfectionism and ambition and achievement, I would say, because I, I really, I mean, you wouldn't look at my desk and think I'm a perfectionist, but, um, (laughs) that's the, that's the lie is that people think that that's the marker. No, but I grew up feeling like I had to be the best at everything. And partly that's having two older brothers who were very talented in very different ways and feeling like I didn't have a, an area to Mm -hmm. shine in, even though that wasn't necessarily true, but Really, just feeling, and then, and then, as a, as a, you know, working mother, feminist, needing to, and also Gen X, like the way I was raised, trying to raise my children a little differently, Mm -hmm. um, with more, like presence and compassion, um, but also not helicoptering, Um, all of that is very hard to balance um, because you can't do everything the best all at once um, or all the time. And so really challenging myself and recognizing that, you know, I have a lot to offer. I I don't have to be the best at everything Mm -hmm. to be able to add value both personally and professionally and and really kind of working on acceptance. Acceptance is is an all-the-time... Sort of practice, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for coming on. This was so great. Are you currently taking patients? 
I am, yes. Okay. And my website is nycsleepdoctor.com. Great name. <laughs> thank you. Great, great name. <laughs> You're welcome back here whenever. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so great. much for getting to the My end of the pleasure. episode. And more importantly, thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself. As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.